Chapter One of The Old Ladies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. The Old Ladies by Hugh Walpole. Chapter One. Mrs. Amherst pays a visit. Quite a number of years ago, there was an old rickety building on the rock above Sea Town in Polchester, and it was one of a number in an old grass-grown square known as Pontypi Square. In this house, at one time or another, lived three old ladies: Mrs. Amherst, Miss May Beringer, and Mrs. Agatha Payne they were really old ladies because at the time of these events mrs amherst was seventy-one miss beringer seventy-three and mrs payne seventy mrs amherst and mrs payne were wonderfully strong women for their age but miss beringer felt her back a good deal it was a windy creaky rain-bitten dwelling-place for three old ladies mrs payne lived in it always although she had fine health her legs were weak and would suddenly desert her what she hated above anything else in life was that she should be ludicrous to people and the thought that one day she might tumble down in polchester high street there in front of everybody determined her seclusion she was a proud and severe woman was mrs payne mrs amherst and mrs payne had lived in these rooms for some time miss beringer was quite a newcomer so new a comer in fact that the other two ladies had not as yet seen her the lodgers on the top floor of the house had the same charwoman mrs bloxham and she came in at eight in the morning cooked the three breakfasts stayed until ten and tidied the rooms after ten o'clock the three old ladies were alone on their floor of the house very nearly alone indeed in the whole building because the second floor had been a store for furniture but was now deserted and the ground floor was the offices of a strange religious sect known as the fortified christians the only fortified christian ever seen was a pale dirty young man with a blue chin who sometimes unlocked a grimy door sat down at a grimier table and wrote letters mrs amherst had once met him in the ground-floor passage and it had been like meeting a ghost mrs amherst herself stayed indoors a good deal because three pair of stairs were a great number for an old lady however strong she might be she looked an old lady of course with her snow-white hair her charming wrinkled face and her neat compact little body she had also eyes as bright as the sea with the sun on it and a smile both radiant and confiding but she was like many other english old ladies i suppose i suppose so because she never attracted the least attention at polchester when she walked him out nobody said why there goes a charming old lady she had never known a day's illness in her life. When she had borne her son Brand, she had been up and about within a week of his birth, and yet she had none of that aggressive good health that is so customary with physically triumphant people. She never thought about it, as indeed she very seldom thought about herself at all. Another thing that one must tell about Mrs. Amherst is that she was very poor very poor indeed and of course she would not have lived in that draughty uncomfortable room at the top of the old house had it not been so she liked comfort and pretty things and she had been well acquainted with both when her husband had been alive her husband ambrose amherst had been a poet a poet dramatist 
tintagel a drama in five acts eldon foster eighteen eighty and the slandered queen a drama in five acts eldon foster eighteen eighty three were his two best-known plays for a while things had gone well with them amorist had inherited from his father then quite suddenly he had died from double pneumonia and it had been found that he had left nothing at all behind him save manuscripts and debts a common affair every novel dealing with poets tells the same story brand the only child had at the age of eighteen gone off to seek his fortune in america for a while things had gone well with him then silence it was now three years since mrs amherst had heard from him indeed the old lady was now very thoroughly alone in the world her only relation living was her cousin francis bulling who also lived in polchester it was because of him in the first place that she had come to polchester she thought that it would be like home to be near a relation the only one she had but it had not been very much like home mrs bulling had not liked her and even after mrs bulling's death when cousin francis had been a grim old man sixty-eight years of age tortured with gout and all alone in his grim old house he had not wanted to see her he was rich but he had never given her a penny and then one day when she came to see him she never thought of the money but felt it her duty occasionally to do so he had laughed and asked her what she would do with twenty thousand pounds a year she had said that she did not know what she would do and he had said that he might as well leave it to her as to any one else she had tried not to think of this but money was the one power that forced her sometimes to think of herself she had so very little and it was dwindling and dwindling because a kind mr agnew her solicitor explained to her her investments weren't paying as well as they did she knew very little about investments her view of money in general was that one must never get into debt she paid for everything as she got it and if she couldn't afford something there and then she did not get it from quarter to quarter the sum had to stretch itself out and kind mr nielsen at the bank wanted it to stretch she was sure as far as it could but powerful man though he was he could not work miracles although she thought every one kind and most people nice she was not a fool she was not blind to people's faults but she selected their virtues instead she felt that she was an old woman with nothing interesting amusing or unusual about her and therefore did feel it very obliging of any one to take an interest in her it could not truthfully be said that many people did she had her pride and she did not like her friends to see her poverty and so she did not ask them to her room on the other hand she did not wish to accept hospitality without returning it then even though you are very strong if you are over seventy and a woman you have only a limited store of energy mrs amherst was often weary and sometimes felt that she could not face those stairs in her dreams at night the stairs figured long-toothed dragon-scaled fiery to the foot her demons but when she had reached her room then all was well in these years she had grown fond of that room once when investments had behaved more nobly and she could ask her friends to visit her it had been a very gay room indeed she had always liked pretty things and had inherited from her earlier more prosperous married life certain fine pieces of furniture 
in the right-hand corner of the room was her bed and in front of the bed a screen of old rose-coloured silk there were three old chairs also fashioned in rose colour a rug of a rich red-brown a little gate-legged table and on her wash-hand stand her jug and basin were of glass and the little water-jug had around it a wreath of briar-rose she had too a bookcase with twelve volumes of macmillan's magazine some stories by grace aguilar and mrs crake and tennyson's complete works in eight volumes also the four books published by her husband one of poems and three of plays her chiefest treasures were on her mantelpiece a faded photograph of brand aged twelve in football clothes such a sturdy little chap was the phrase she had used in the old days when there had been visitors and a drawing of her husband a thin figure with hair flowing a cape flung over his right shoulder and a book held prominently in the hand a rather weak face that same visitor might have thought but to mrs amherst rich in intimate memories perfection perfect in physical beauty in spiritual significance in human sympathy the room was a large one and might seem to the superficial observer chill and spare the chest of drawers and the cupboard where mrs amherst kept her clothes could not cover sufficiently the farther wall space the windows were not large mrs payne had the view right over the pole and the country beyond mrs amherst had chimney-pots and not a glimpse of the cathedral miss beringer had the cathedral but her room was a pound a year more than mrs amherst's mrs amherst would not have a fire until the winter had really quite closed in and the difficult days were such as those in november when it could be so cold and so wet and so wild and yet it was not truly winter to-day was not a bad day a pale ghostly light was over the world the sky was scattered with tatters of white cloud as though for a celestial paper-chase and the smoke from all the chimneys blew wildly in the wind mrs amherst noticed these things as she prepared to go out the cathedral had struck uh, very faintly heard from here two o'clock the sun suddenly made a struggle and threw a faint primrose glow upon the remains of mrs amherst's little luncheon a coffee-cup a tumbler a plate with crumbled biscuit and a half-empty sardine tin three water-biscuits one sardine and a cup of coffee and mrs amherst felt fortified for the rather difficult visit to her cousin francis that she was about to pay as she arranged her bonnet over her beautiful white hair in front of the misted looking-glass she was suddenly aware that she was going to like this visit to her cousin less than any that she had ever paid him she would like it less for two reasons one that he was very ill and that she would therefore be in the hands of his housekeeper mrs greenacre who both disliked and despised her the other that kind mr nielsen had written to her to tell her that there were only ten pounds four shillings and fivepence to her credit in the bank and quarter-day was yet far distant and that therefore the thought of cousin francis's money was more dominant in her brain than it had ever been before she didn't wish it to be so as she stood there twisting the purple strings of her bonnet in her thin beautiful fingers she thought how wicked she must be to have this in her mind but as you grew older you seemed to have less and less power to keep things out of your mind 
you were being punished perhaps for looseness of thought in your earlier days you had been too happy and careless then and must pay now it was the one remnant of mrs amherst's strict puritan upbringing that she felt that god did not intend his servants to be too consciously happy and yet with her all her life happiness would keep breaking in probably she must pay for that now she gave a little sigh as she turned away from the window she was still wickedly hungry that was the punishment for being physically so blooming that you had always so healthy an appetite she looked for a moment covetously at the sardine tin one more sardine one more biscuit then resolutely shook her head and as was her way often when she was alone her face broke into smiles how ridiculous to have such an appetite with her small body now if she had been mrs payne and perhaps if she were in a kindly mood miss greenacre would offer her some tea with some of those nice sponge fingers that cousin frances had she was not really greedy but she liked sponge fingers before she went out she listened for a moment her head cocked on one side like an inquiring bird how silent the house was like a dead house the wind was playing through it like a musician plucking a note from a board there a stair here an ill-fitting window somewhere else but the house itself gave no sound mrs payne too how silent she was there in her room day after day thinking thinking of what of her past one must suppose after seventy the past was of so much more importance than the present and the new tenant miss beringer how quiet she was she had been there for three days now and mrs amherst had not yet seen her a nice-spoken lady mrs bloxham had said and fond of talking tall and thin and dressed in pale green a strange costume for one of her years and having decided this with a thought of cheerful approbation for her own grey silk mrs amherst started down the stairs cousin francis lived in a large stone house on the other side of the river it was shortest if you dropped down into seatown crossed the wooden bridge by the mill and walked through the fields but mrs amherst avoided seatown when she could she hated to see the distress and poverty that she could do nothing to improve and although a stout optimistic lady had once told her confidently that the poor were always happy they had none of the troubles that weighed on the rich she couldn't altogether believe it they had none of the same troubles certainly but she herself had known for too long what it was to worry about every penny and deny yourself everything comfortable and easy to believe eagerly in poverty so to avoid seatown she crossed the market-place and the bottom of the high street and turned to the left over tontine bridge skirted the river for a little way and then climbed the wooded path to cousin francis large white gates she was tired and weary and anxious to-day do what she would she could not beat down her anxiety passing through the streets as unobtrusively as possible she would nevertheless have rejoiced had there been only somebody to raise a hat or smile a smile there was nobody at all she mattered to nobody in that whole town there was not a soul who cared whether she lived or died and realizing that in the sharp november wind she gave a little shiver her legs ached to-day and her brain ached 
that particular ache in the brain came directly from her effort to keep her thoughts in order and to bring them into some sort of consecutive discipline her thoughts to-day were like mice behind the wainscoting tap tap scratch scratch there for a moment and then gone some stockings that must be mended a discoloration of mrs bloxham's eye that said mrs bloxham had been caused by tripping over a coal scuttle but was derived mrs amherst feared straight from mr bloxham's fist strange mrs payne with her old discoloured purple velvet and her bushy eyebrows and there go mrs cumbermere and miss ellen stiles how strong and self-confident they look mrs amherst had not been always a shy woman in those days in cheltenham when mr harland and mr crackenthorpe had come to stay over sunday she had acted hostess bravely although she could never like the things that they liked thought the books that they read and wrote quite horrible if the truth be known her husband had never been able to change her artistic tastes but she had not shrunk from mr harland had indeed chaffed him a little but now were mrs cumbermere to stay and speak to her she would tremble all over and stammer most like and have no words of her own and yet how happy she would have been what an event in her day once in a party at the dean's she had been introduced to mrs cumbermere but that seemed long ago the time for parties at the dean's was past and gone for one thing she had no clothes for another someone might one day call on her and spy out the nakedness of the land for another she shivered again as she crossed the tontine bridge then she beat up her spirits what was happening to her how unlike her to lose her courage it must be that tiresome ten pounds four shillings and fivepence that was worrying her never mind that she had been in worse troubles than that ere now and god the father had always come to her aid he would come to her aid again as she looked up to the cloud-streaked sky a sky into which a faint orange glow was slowly stealing she felt as on so many thousands of occasions she had felt before the presence of a large protecting friend who put his arm out towards her and drew her up and smiling said how could you ever have doubted nevertheless she doubted once again as she walked up cousin francis's grim and desolate drive cousin francis had that property peculiar to certain natures of bestowing the colour of his personality on everything and everybody close to him his garden the rooms of his house his housekeeper his secretary his irish setter his two gardeners all of them were wind-bitten and desolate with all his money he did not know what comfort was nor colour nor gentleness nor the laughter and love of friends his own gaunt and rocky body with its high cold forehead its naked eyes and projecting teeth its long legs and iron-grey hands held no comfort for any human soul even his dog did not care for him the house was like a jail with its barricaded windows and cold ugly walls mrs amherst pealed the iron bell and then waited her heart beating beneath her thin grey silk there was a fine view of polchester from here the cathedral riding triumphantly on high the houses and fields piled up at its feet and now suddenly the sun burst its bonds and great swaths of golden glory enwrapped the scene mrs amherst stood entranced and did not hear the door open and the voice of the maid 
she turned and blushing said oh i beg your pardon how is mr bulling to-day a little better mum oh i'm glad of that i wonder if i might see him for a moment if you'll step in mum i'll inquire mrs amorous stepped in and was left alone in the large stone hall with its empty fireplace its grim portrait of mr bulling as mayor of drymouth and its shining golden chairs she looked very small in that high cold place and miss greenacre mr bulling's housekeeper might be forgiven perhaps for looking all about her for quite a while before she saw that there was anybody there miss greenacre was long and thin and white and ribbed like a stick of asparagus she had the air of one who has so many important things in mind that personal contact with her must be always three times removed and especially for mrs amherst she was removed into almost disappearing distance having found her she only said good afternoon biting her words as she offered them as though to see whether they rang true or no i came to inquire after mr bulling said mrs amherst she was often timid with miss greenacre how fervently she wished that she was not and the more fervently she wished it the more timid she was i wonder whether i might see him for a moment well now that depends said miss greenacre looking down upon mrs amherst with a considering air as though she were a colour waiting to be matched he wasn't so well this morning but since he's had his dinner well he's brightened up considerable mrs amherst might be timid but she refused to be patronized by any one i wonder whether you would mind she said quite sharply letting him know that i'm here miss greenacre entered into the game with steely zest do you know i believe he's just dropped off about five minutes back it wouldn't be well to wake him would it i think he would like to see me said mrs amherst if you wouldn't mind making sure whether he's asleep or not well now i wonder she stood there biting her finger and considering mrs amherst had a sudden burning ambition to pick up a large bronze of neptune near the door and hurl it at her would she then snap in two or bend the thought of her surprise made a little smile hover about mrs amherst's lips she got up would you mind she said very firmly indeed asking whether mr bulling will see me and to her great surprise miss greenacre suddenly turned and went alone once more mrs amherst abruptly sat down again she was more weary than she had known her legs now really were not strong that walk had exhausted her more than it had ever done before and a sudden fear confronting her not for the first time whispered to her that the day was coming when she would be like mrs payne alone up there at the top of that silent house forgotten by all the world slowly more helpless more lonely more she bit her lip because her chin trembled her chin was always giving her away it seemed the least stable part of all her anatomy miss greenacre shan't see that i'm worried was her thought and miss greenacre did not returning just then to say that mr bulling was awake and would see mrs amherst up the heavy stone staircase the two women went through passages that glimmered under the guttering gas with bad oil paintings of heavy seas and buttercup meadows and so into the long high bedroom dark and close and smelling of medicine mrs amherst had often visited her cousin in bed before and was accustomed to the shining forehead the long cold nose the pale bony hands 
Propped up against his pillows, he peered out at her like a large, malevolent bird. His bed was canopied with heavy, dark red curtains. On the table beside the bed was a lamp with a green shade and a row of medicine bottles. Mrs. Amherst, coming forward, noticed none of these things in her sudden discovery that he had changed terribly for the worse since her last sight of him. Her heart was touched. The maternal was roused in her. He was suffering, and there was no one really to care for him. That horrible Miss Greenacre could not be called anything. How uncomfortable he looked! She longed to turn the pillows, to smooth the sheets, to turn the shade so that the light was not in his eyes. But even with that impulse she realized that Miss Greenacre, watching her, would say to herself, "'Ah, there goes another after his money!' And was it not true? Only on her way to this house. So the impulse was checked, and she stood there in her purple bonnet and grey silk, smiling a little, and at last timidly saying, "'And how are you, Cousin Francis, today?' "'Worse, that's the way I am,' he growled from the bed, then raising his voice, "'All right, Greenacre, you can leave us. I know you'd like to overhear every word we're going to say, but you can listen behind the keyhole, and you won't hear a thing.' "'How terrible,' thought Mrs. Amorous, "'to treat anyone like that and to call her Greenacre. "'Could I ever endure it?' she wondered, "'if I were in that position.' no indeed i could not but the lady did not appear discomforted she gave mrs amherst one haughty glance and departed sit down sit down cousin lucy and take off your bonnet i like to see your hair this last remark was in a softer tone it encouraged mrs amherst who took off her bonnet and laid it on the table near the medicine bottles then brought a chair and sat down close to the bed come to see how the poor old man's getting along to see how fast he's dying and when his money's going to be divided mrs amherst pale cheeks flushed it wouldn't be true cousin francis she said to say that i haven't thought about your money because i have and reproached myself for doing so but i haven't thought greatly about it and i would have come to visit you if you hadn't a penny in the world i would have come indeed more often than i have done well that's honest he answered more honest than most of them i'm glad you've come to-day it's probably the last time you'll see me i hope indeed not but indeed it is i'm dying and i'm frightened of it i've been a man all my life that's never needed anybody i never needed a woman or a friend my mind was giving to the making of money and i made it and now it seems a shame that i can't take any of it with me sometimes when the pain's bad i want it all to end as quickly as may be but when the pain goes there i am again thinking of the money and wondering how i can make the most of it in the little time that's left but i'm lonely cousin lucy mighty lonely all my life i never thought to be but that is the truth now i'm here i'm lonely and naked at the last mrs amorous said what she could but her mind was fixed on the desire to arrange his pillow, to smooth his hair from his forehead, to do something that would make him comfortable. His long, cold fingers kept plucking at the sheets. His eyes were never still. But she would not do anything lest he should think that she wanted his money. "'What would you say to it if I were to leave you a thousand pounds a year?' he asked her. "'I should be thankful to you,' she answered him. I have not many years to live, but I would find out my boy, and we could live together again. Where is your boy? I don't know. 
against her will tears gathered in her eyes i haven't heard now for a considerable time ah he's forgotten you i've no doubt so you're all alone yes i'm quite alone it must have tired you coming up here to see me yes it was tiring how old are you now i was seventy-one last march were you now we're both old dodderers are you afraid of death no cousin francis and why not my heavenly father will care for me in that as he has cared for me in everything else cared for you you say when he has left you all alone in your old age i am not alone when he is with me well i don't understand all that religious nonsense but what if it should be true after all who can tell nobody knows there was a silence between them a long silence then the man said you're a good woman cousin lucy the best of all of them that come here i'll give you a thousand pounds a year on my oath i will i'll see agnew about it to-morrow mrs amorous turned very pale and then she said faintly thank you cousin francis is that all you've got to say i like that too you're not a false one like the others let me feel your hair she came closer to the bed and he put his hand on her white hair and very slowly stroked it they sat for a long time he stroking her hair then suddenly his hand fell away and she saw that he was asleep she gently put on her bonnet and stole out of the room End of chapter one